three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 404. Today's episode is a conversation with a good friend of mine, Dan Casey. It's funny, I feel like every time I have a guest on the show, I say, one of my favorite people in the football world, and uh, I mean, it's never a lie. It is true. I love I love Joe Roselle. I love Lawrence Owen, and I love myself some Dan Casey. Dan Casey's awesome. Uh, our conversation today, it started really as a reaction to, I wanted to kind of have as a jumping off point talk about John Gruden, Urban Meyer, what happens when a coach loses trust in the locker room? And from that point on, we went off on a – we had a great conversation about all kinds of stuff, building confidence with your players. And, man, just – it was a – he referenced John Wooden, the former UCLA basketball coach, like all kinds of really great stuff. And, uh, man, I just – without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Coach Dan Casey. Joining me now is Dan Casey, friend of the show, one of my favorite humans talking about football. Uh, first of all, Dan, how are you? Welcome in. I'm doing great, man. It's good good to be with you. I know you're down there in Hawaii, and I'm in Texas, so we're, we we found some time. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. I, it's weird. You're in Central Time, and that's the only time zone I, my brain can't figure out. Like, <laughs> right. West Coast, three hours. East Coast, three more hours, six hours from here. And then I'm like, Central? Oh, crap. What's that? I've been like... No idea what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> some some uh, folks call it God's time, so uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> fair fair <laughs> enough. Um, I wanted to bring you on because this... The Urban Meyer stuff, the John Gruden stuff, got my mind going, and I don't want to talk about cheating on wives or sending inappropriate emails. I don't like we're not the morality police, but I want to talk about the impact that can have on a locker room. And I, I, I there's a, a definitely a conversation to be had here. Like I actually thought it was interesting that John Gruden just stepped down and said, you know, I'm just gonna I don't want to be a distraction. That was interesting to me. I'm curious. I, I don't have a. I don't know how to even intro this. I probably should have thought of that more. Actually, now I think about it. Uh, but I, I'm curious. Like, what are your thoughts generally on when when that kind of thing happens and you you end up losing trust with a coach? How does a locker room react, and how do you how do you handle that as a coach yourself? Man, you know, I think the coaching profession, just kind of in general, is this is a very unique space to occupy because you are in so many ways set up in a position where like you have, whether, you know, it's 50 or a hundred people looking at you to set everything in their life, at least for that season. So whether it's, you know, um, setting their schedule, setting the expectations. Um, and it, one of the, one of the biggest challenges as a coach is how do you ensure that what you preach is kind of in line with how you live your life and, it's a very hard line to walk. And I, I think very few people, myself included, are able to walk it perfectly. And I, I think it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I think coaches are not that dissimilar from, you know, preachers and politicians where it's so easy to say, oh, you're a hypocrite. You know, you, you can't live up to to kind of the things that you uh, that you present to your team or to the media or to the fan base or whatever. And you know, more often than not, you know, folks are folks are right on when they when they spot that or, or are able to kind of kind of pull that out. And so I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where yeah, you know, I had coaches growing up that used to say, you know, we live in a fishbowl, like everything we do is open to scrutiny. And I think, you know, the coaching profession is, is maybe more so than ever nowadays with, with social media and different things like that. More more than ever, um, are you open to scrutiny that 
if if your words don't match your actions, it's going to be immediate. I thought it was interesting. So what what he where he loses credibility is when like you have a bye week and he's like, "Hey guys, no, don't do anything stupid over the bye week." And then the coaches just laugh, or the players just laugh at him. They're like, "Well." And I thought maybe it'd be interesting if he just like literally goes in the, the team room with a whole team in, in a meeting, puts up the video of him with a woman dancing on him and says, don't be this guy. That guy's me. It's just extreme ownership of what's happening. And that's like the only extreme angle I can think of where you can maybe overcome that because you have to own what happened. And I, we're not in the locker room. We don't really know. But I, I know that it would be hard as a player to be like, come on, man. Like, how can I trust anything you say now? Yeah, I mean, and once once trust is lost, it can be something that's incredibly difficult to regain um, and to and to work your way back from it. And so, you know, I think sometimes we we tend as as kind of the people that aren't in the middle of the situation to kind of look at uh, look at things from the outside in and think about like these events as isolated incidents or whatever. Um, but I think you know, in all likelihood, there's probably lead up to these things. Um, and, and there's maybe already a disposition within that locker room to like whether whether or not mm. you trust that that particular person, that coach. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that's not just challenging for NFL coaches or college coaches. It's challenging for high school coaches. Um, it's very it's very difficult. Like one of the, one of the things that I've realized in coaching and, you know, I've even been victim of this at times. It's just like uh, high schoolers, football players in general, just sniff things out really quickly. Um, and so if you're pretending mm. or if you're, uh, you know, if you're full of it, like they're going to, they're going to be able to spot that. Uh, and, and it really doesn't matter what level it is. And so I, I've had to learn that lesson the hard way at, at times early on in my coaching career, even of just, there were times where I was, you know, saying one thing, but really not able to back it up. And, and I had to kind of go back to the drawing board. And I think one of the things that, one of the lessons that I learned in those situations was that humility is kind of like always the best way to go and just say like, look, I, I messed up here and I need to, I need to continue to improve. Um, and, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this last time we, we got on. Um, uh, but one of the, my sister's actually, she's a counselor, uh, and she was sharing a study that, that she did in her, in her counseling program. And she was, was talking about like parent and child relationships, which, you know, uh, is, it can be relevant, especially when you're coaching in college or high school, because uh, sometimes you take on that kind of parental figure. It's not the same in the NFL, obviously. Um, but one of the things she was saying is, you know, the the biggest jump in growth that, you know, children have in reference to their parents are when they can look at their parents and watch their parents make changes in their own life, not their parents trying to force change in their, their kids' lives. And yeah. so if you're, if you're a parent that kind of sets the example of like, I'm always going to continue to try and grow and improve and take ownership for my mistakes and, 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 and I'm living that out, that has a much bigger impact on the way your kids handle those situations as well, as opposed to you just saying like, don't get in trouble, don't party, like don't stay out late, like get good grades. It's, it's more about you demonstrating like I'm an unfinished product as well. Mm. And so I think that's something I've tried to. I mean, I, to the best of my ability, tried to model it for my own players. I fail pretty often with this, but, um, you know, that's, that's definitely something that I think is, is telling. Like, I think the guys that run into the most issue guys or gals, whoever's coaching, like they run into the most issues when, um, they kind of come from this position of authority as in, I have nothing left to learn. Like I've kind of reached the mountaintop and I am who I am and this is how I do things. And, um, I'm not changing. 
And I think that's when you, when you kind of run into that immovable object of ego, um, that's when you run into the most issues. Dude, you just made me a better parent. That, that's so cool to like, you can create a culture for your kids where it's normal to grow and admit your faults. And right. it's the same with coaching. Like, there's a very like clear parallel there between the two. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And when you're caught up in the power dynamics of, you, you know, I, I've thought of it at becoming a parent and, and then thinking about, you know, the way I coach as well. If I set up that power dynamic of like, you know, I'm in charge. I'm the adult in the room. Um, you need to do as I say. Um, that may work in the short term, but in the long term, in terms of understanding how to own um, and how to accept responsibility. Um, I, I even had a coach tell me once, and this really like tra- transformed the way I thought of it. He said, you know, r- taking responsibility is is deciding to own the fact that you own that you have an ability to respond in a certain way like responsibility mm-hmm. like breaking those two words apart and saying when i take responsibility for something it's controlling the way that i respond and understanding that i have an ability to respond in a positive way to the situations that i encounter from the day from day to day and that that was really big for me of like it's not just about asking my athletes to take responsibility but also taking ownership myself and realizing that I have, I have a, a, an ability to choose the way I respond to different situations. Um, and, and that's, that's like a continued process of growth. Like you don't all of a sudden become patient. You don't all of a sudden become, um, understanding or empathetic. Like it's, it's a gradual process that is going to take a lifetime. And so I think the coaches that I look up to the most are the ones that I can tell are working through that process in their own life. And they're getting better year after year. And then there's there's other there's other folks that you know I think have kind of said, I am who I am, and and this is how I do things, and and listen listen to what I say, and maybe do as I say, not as I do. It's really interesting to compare, and I don't know that it's what I'm about to say may not be fair. So let's let's like an exercise and think about it. Maybe it's unfair, maybe not. Is comparing Urban Meyer and John Gruden. I remember when the first email leaked with John Gruden and. His players supported him. Like his players were like, "That's old." Like we got our coaches back. It was really interesting how, like Josh Jacobs, I remember most vividly saying, "Like that's my guy." I've never seen this in him in his actions and the time I've known him. Sure. And yeah. obviously, more came out. He left, but Urban Meyer never had anyone defend him. Like none of his players had his back, and that was interesting to me. Now, one thing it's in fairness to Urban Meyer is he's new. John sure. Gruden's been yeah. there for years. There's more rapport built. There's more time. But is there anything there you think where that no one defended Urban Meyer? None of his players reached out. And were like, "That's my guy." That's not what I've seen him for. Like, do, what do you think of that? Is that is there anything there? Man, I think I think for coaches and just more in general, uh, you kind of always hope that your athletes would kind of see the best parts of you. Uh, but I think w- one of the things that I've learned is, you know, f- football in particular is this is this extremely emotional game. And when you get to the highest levels also, obviously like that emotion carries on. And, and, and sometimes, you know, um, while you may have 99 positive interactions with a person, a particular player, it may be that one negative interaction that really like sours the relationship. Um, and to the degree with which you're able to come back from that negative interaction, um, you know, you, you may, you may feel like you kind of, you can, you can lose players pretty quickly. And so I think that's, that's one of the big challenges. You know, one of the things that I'm kind of excited about, to be honest, is that the, the culture is shifting and not just in the NFL, but in, in college and even in high school, like there's more 
um, there's more ownership taken by by the athletes and and they have more of a voice than they ever have before. You know, even growing up when I was playing, like it was just kind of yes, sir, and you you got on the line. You know, you put you put your feet on the line and you did it. And I think there's there's certain positives to that as well. But I think it's kind of asking coaches now to revisit um, techniques in terms of like how are we how are we looking to motivate people? Um, how how do we expect to get the most out of people? And you've heard a lot of coaches start to use the the term um, instead of like hey, we have a, we have, you know, we're going to be a championship team or something like that. You, you'll hear phrases like we are trying to build a high performance culture. Um, or, you know, the, that kind of terminology is interesting because it's really about like each individual person maximizing their experience within that team environment, um, but also like being able to come together and perform highly as a as a collective. And so I think I think coaches just have uh, it's, it's an exciting like frontier in coaching of like, what does it look mm-hmm. like now? um, to, with the power dynamics shifting, um, to be able to reach people where they're at, as opposed to, you know, I have such a great opportunity for you that you have to just accept anything I do. Um, and and I think in one hand it is extremely challenging, but it's going to, I think, lead to some more positive interactions with, with players in the future. Um, but in the meantime, I think we're going to have a lot of these instances where, it's, it's the, you know, the, the player culture is moving forward and the coach culture is kind of there standing still. And I think you're going to see, like, I mean, let's just bring up one example. Like you listen to Brandon Staley talk, like that's a dude who has like gone through and understood the culture shift yeah. with the players and understood how to interact with his players. I, I don't know if he'll win a Super Bowl. I don't know if he'll have a long career. I, I certainly hope so. I'm a fan. I of love his. the guy. He seems. I awesome. mean, he's he seems fantastic. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to instantly trans translate to success and you know a, a long career or, or anything like that. But I think you're starting to see these guys like pop up, and I think players are instantly taking to them. Like, how does Brandon Staley go from a D three defensive coordinator to the head coach in the NFL in just a couple of years? It's because like there he has an it factor of leadership, of understanding how to, it's not even how to motivate people. It's how to treat people to maximize who they are in those particular situations. How does, how does a guy like Brandon Staley work with so many dynamic personalities in in LA and get them to all buy into this vision, right? Like, you know, same thing, not just the chargers, but the Rams, like that defense has a lot of personality, a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, star power. How does it, how does some random guy from, John Carroll get all those guys on the same page. Like I think there's something there's like some some new age magic that you're seeing and it's it, it, there's going to be kind of coaches I think are going to kind of be broken up into these two categories now. I want to I want to talk about culture in a moment with the next one but I, I do want to I I'm not going to do this to you. I'm not going to like clip this out. But if I did, I would title it like Dan Casey reacts to Urban Meyer not flying home with the team. <laughs> I I was like, I, I just wanted your opinion. Like as a coach, you heard that he didn't go home with the team. That seemed out of like really weird to me. I'm like, I've never, and everyone said that basically. We've never seen that happen before. What was your reaction when you found out? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. I think this goes back to, you know, what is your kind of current relationship with, with your team? You know, I mm-hmm. think I've had, for example, I've had teams that I've coached when I was in the middle of going through uh, the adoption processes with my son and my daughter. And 
I was, you know, communicative with them about kind of what was going on. And, you know, for example, I, I don't take phone calls during pregame warmups um, <laughs> of games, right? Yeah. I don't do that. That's not something I do. I'm focused on the game. Um, but when I was adopting my son, like we got a phone call, I got a phone call on the field five minutes before kickoff from my wife, letting me know we matched with my son. Like that was a phone call I took in front of my whole team. And I don't think that that was, it was, you know, abnormal, but I think my, my guys understood, like I was building my family and it meant a lot to me. I had communicated that a lot to them. And so that wasn't something where they're like, Oh, coach Casey doesn't care about, you know, mm. the game or anything like that. Um, so well, for they were example, probably excited. Like, they were, probably they were like, fired up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think it kind of goes back to like what kind of relationship have you developed with your team and what kind of culture have you built? Are you the coach that says, hey, family's first and everything. And so if I have a bye week, I'm going to be with my family. Um, and obviously you have to actually be with your family and not be doing other things. Um, but I think there's ways to – I don't think it's it's the not flying home. That's the issue, you know. I think there's ways that you – you know, I, I just don't think it's this like black and white thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's how you've communicated with your team. How have you set up the culture? How have you allowed room for for guys on your team to be, you know, active members of their family? Um, and so I think, again, it's, you know, you can you can get hung up on like, I didn't fly home with the team. Um, but maybe there's there's situations, you know, I know Gus Malzahn recently was with his daughter when she was giving birth to her her first, I think, first child. And it's like, you know, I don't know how the team took that, but I think there's ways that you can communicate that to your team and communicate the value of your family and where it's not a big deal. But then obviously then if you're if you're not with your family and you're doing other things, then again, instantly losing credibility. I mean, I think that it, it, that's just by way of example. I think that I don't think it's it's as black and white as we want to make it. I think it's what kind of rapport do you have with those guys in the mm -hmm. locker room? And then how do your actions match up with your values? I got to, so they're on the, they play a game at Cincinnati. The team flies back to Jacksonville. He doesn't go with them. I heard one thing that I, I thought I wanted your thoughts on. Tony Dungy talked about this. He said, what if there's a fight on the plane home? What if someone gets hurt? Like Urban, Urban, I would think is responsible for the team in that scenario. I mean, I guess they're adults. I mean, it is it is different than high school where you're like literally all in a bus driving sure. from one city yeah. to another. Right. The, and these are grown men with millions of dollars. But is there some level of accountability for Urban simply just to be the like the guy leading the team home too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think as as a coach, your your purview kind of extends far beyond the field, obviously. Um, mm. And again, my perspective is limited because I'm not a college coach. I'm not a professional yeah. coach. I'm a high school coach. Um, but in terms of kind of responsibility that extends to, you know, the classroom, it extends to, uh, you know, the, the weekends, if you're having practices on the weekends and, you know, making sure people are getting to and from stuff safely. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little easier at the high school level because you're not only responsible to those kids, you're responsible to their parents as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it is probably, it would be abnormal for the, the head coach to not be a part of the entire process of yeah. um, executing, you know, from start to finish a, a, a trip. Well, I like though that you pointed out it's not black and white either though. Like there, sure. there is room yeah. for negotiation based on your relationship with the team. Like, so, cause yes. I, I would know yeah, that yeah. what you said, someone will criticize, well, he's got to watch out for the team and it's both can be true. Like sure. you can have, yeah. there is nuance in every situation. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, yeah. without a doubt. And, and it goes back to, 
how well how well do you communicate with your team and and are your decisions kind of aligned with your values i think i think as long as that's the case there's leeway you know um but when as soon as those decisions are no longer aligned with the values that you've at least projected that's when you run into issues it was interesting hearing Bruce Arians talk about his approach as a coach. Like he, he called himself like the cool uncle that he would help his players want to get a drink with. And that's interesting. And it, it definitely worked better with, again, NFL players, millions of dollars and high school guys. But how do you like total, a lot of guys talk about being a father figure and, and maybe someone would criticize that and say, well, that's a bit presumptuous, isn't it? To think of yourself. So how do, how do you, what's your approach when it comes to that whole idea of being a father figure, a cool uncle? Like what do you, what do you do in that situation? What's your approach? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I, I kind of go back to, and I, I may butcher the quote, but I'm, I'll am i approximate <laughs> it. Um, I think somebody kind of asked John Wooden at one point, like, do you treat all your players equally? Like, do they all get equal treatment from you? Kind of expecting Coach Wooden, who's been like kind of this leadership, uh, uh, kind of the ultimate leadership coach. Um, and, and he had an interesting take on it. He said, I treat all, I treat all of my players fairly but I don't treat them equally because they're unique people. Um, Mm. And so I think that's kind of the, the way you have to um, have to move in the world at the, at this point, it's like, you know, each, each athlete that you coach is going to have different needs, different, um, different things that, that work for them Uh, in something as simple as, you know, teaching them how to, um, how to run a route. Like there's a cue that may work for one receiver that may not make sense to another. And you're kind of having Mm. to try and, um, you, you can't teach them all the same, exactly the same way. And so I think when it comes to those player relationships, it is really about kind of developing a unique relationship with each player that some players really do need a little extra, um, a a little extra, uh, encouragement. Um, and some other players maybe need a little bit more, um, kind of clearly defined boundaries. Um, and so it's, it's really trying to figure that out. And it's, it's definitely one of the that's why, you know, that's why coaching, I think, is more of an art than a science. It's that, you know, you, you have to kind of figure out those relationships and a way to get them to execute, obviously, on the field as well. And so I think, you know, Bruce Arians, again, once you've gotten to a certain point where you have a reputation and you have um, established the kind of culture that you want to have in your, in your building, uh, it's going to attract people that, that want that, right? And, mm-hmm. and so I think there's, there's a reason that people are coming to Tampa Bay. It's not just Tom Brady. It's not just a stacked roster. It's people, I think, especially veterans want to be around a coach that's going to be understanding. Uh, now, you know, Bruce Arians is a fun uncle, but if you ever watched the, uh, uh, I guess it was all or nothing with the Cardinals. I mean, he cut a guy on the spot for parking in his parking spot. Like there there's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, Bruce Arians is a cool guy, like laid back, he's chill, but like, don't cross the line on that mm-hmm. guy. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, is he going to cut Tom Brady? No, but again, if, if he's telling you repeatedly not to do something and you keep doing it, you will get cut on the spot. And so I think it's one of those things where there's, there's a balance. It, I don't think anyone is, is all one thing or all another. Like, I think people all think, you know, Bill Belichick is as serious as a heart attack all the time, but the reality is that, you know, you watch him in those interactions before practice with his players and he's, he's laughing, he's joking. Like he, I think he has more of a rapport than anyone from the outside looking in probably realizes. It was really cool. He, I can't remember who talked, some, some former Patriot, maybe Julian Edelman, maybe someone else. I don't know. Was talking about Bill and 
he pointed out that like Bill didn't even make them have like a dress code at walkthroughs. And as a play, a former player, I'm like, oh, hallelujah! Like I wish I'd been able right. to wear. Like who cares? What I, I can't right. wear red socks. Like how does that affect? Like no, it doesn't matter. And I really appreciated that hearing that about it. Made me like Bill even more than I already did. I'm like, wow, like sure. he's yeah, really yeah. just it's football. And if, it, if it's not, like, important, I'm not going to worry about it. Sure. I was yeah. like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. No, no I mean, yeah. I, I, think there's, I think there's something to that. I mean, I think each, each coach finds ways or at least tries to find ways that are authentic to themselves um, where they can kind of take the pressure off their teams. Mm. Um, and I think the guys that are sh- high-strung all the time, uh, those, are, those are guys that, again, they may have some success because of that organization and the expectation. Um, but I think it's really hard to maintain over the long run. Yeah. Um, and I think players grow tired of it. You know, you see Super Bowl teams that, uh, or, or national championship teams that fall apart pretty quickly because it's really hard to maintain keeping everyone in line that aggressively. I mean, it's just hard to do. It's hard yeah. to do. How do you think Saban does it? Is it because his players are in college and they move on pretty quickly? Like he does go through coordinators like crazy. It seems like he's both hard to work with, but he will help you get to the next level. So they're making a deal with the devil. Like, like if you're a player, <laughs> like, well, like it clearly is going to get me to the NFL. I just got to do what this man says. So how, how do you think he like maintains that level of intensity and has maintained it successfully? Yeah, no, I mean, I think he's the greatest of all time in, in so many ways. Um, and you know, I could I could talk about <laughs> my perspective on it for, for hours, but I think, do it. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think Saban, I don't think Saban even gets enough credit for the ways that he adapts and adjusts and mm. changes himself. And, and it very much reminds me having grown up around the program a little bit, or just had a view of the program, um, Duke basketball with coach, coach K um, coach K had a very specific philosophy for years and years and years. And then when he went to work for the Olympic team and got around Kobe and LeBron, um, he shifted his perspective, shifted the way he played, opened things up, took one, took one and done. like there was, he shifted, he changed with the times and it allowed him to be insanely successful for a long amount of time. And, um, coach Saban obviously is very similar in that. Like he flipped, he's basically flipped the game from a defensive focused game to an offensive focused game in the sec. Um, and he's been willing to do that, which is remarkable. Um, but I think, I think in so many ways, like, one of the things that's great about coach Saban is that he offers like very clear value propositions to people. Um, and, and pretty unambiguously, like, I don't think he lies to people. Um, I don't think he, I don't think he sells people a bill of goods. I think he's very honest and upfront about like what this experience is going to be. And if you're able to, if you're able to thrive in that environment, like you are, you are going to be set up for success. I don't think mm-hmm. you're ever going to hear Nick Saban, um, you know, just trying to get kids to fall in line. I think he's really offering them a value, a value add to their own life and their own mm-hmm. career. And the same th- the same goes for the coaches that come through that program. Like there's no doubt if you join that program, you are going to be set, set up for success. And the expectation is challenging and he doesn't flinch on that. Um, but I think he, I, I think what's different maybe with coach Saban versus some other coaches is I don't think he minces words about what it's going to be like. I don't think he's telling you one thing and then your experience is another. Um, and, and so I think there's, there's something to that. And now can everybody get away with that? Cause no, because they're not able to offer the same value that he, that he offers. And so I think that's part of why the machine is what it is, is that he is offering 
the exact value that he that he claims. Do you think it looks like he'll say, "Hey, hey, son, if you do this, I I think you can get here." Like, is it? It's very directly saying, like, "Here's where this can take you." Like, he, it, when you say you say it's giving them value, saying, "Here's where you can go if you do this." Yeah, and, and, and I mean he's he, he's right on the money, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting too when he he'll talk about you know, um, like I I know with certain players he said you know, you're you're a third round pick, but if you come back, you're a first round pick. And they've taken him up on that, and sure enough, um, there's other players where he's like, "Hey, you're a first round pick. You got to go. You got to go," and they leave. They leave early, and so I, I think in in a lot of ways he um, is pretty unselfish in the way that he handles those players. Like he he wants them to maximize their potential, mm. um, and the same is true with coaches. Like you rarely see him. And again, I'm not on the inside. I, I'm not a part yeah. of these conversations, obviously. But like he very willingly lets those guys go and take jobs and but he will fight you if he thinks it's a job that's not going to benefit you um Mm -hmm. so he sets i think to the best of his ability sets sets those assistants up for success at their next place except against him he's not gonna he's not gonna (laughs) lose to him um so uh but no i mean i think i think it's he is in a very unique spot because of what he's built and he's kind of earned the right in in that way and i think most of the coaches nowadays really you can't replicate it you can't replicate it because uh, you're never going to be able to build something as prolific. And so you're going to have to find other ways to reach, reach people. No one's going to trust what you say as much as they would trust what, Lane, what, what he says, what Nick Saban says. No chance. That kind of no chance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you have to earn trust in other ways. It's not just resume trust. It's relational trust. Do you think he recognizes that if I invest in these people, players, coaches, and I am unselfish, Ultimately, it'll come back around and reward me too. Is that kind of because it has absolutely. clearly? No, absolutely. I mean, you, you you see it. You know, how, how come every fired coach in America is is an analyst at Alabama? <laughs> how come every um, you know the NFL guys are are feeding right back into that program? And and um, it, it's a, it's kind of a it's become cyclical in so many ways that they are able to just replicate year after year. Um, and guys are even willing to to sit behind other talented recruits because they know when their time comes they're gonna they're going to get that serious look. Um, yeah. So it's man, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like it. Um, not in my lifetime, at least. Yeah. Can you talk about the role an analyst plays for a major college football program? I think a lot of people yeah. don't know what that means and what that is. Yeah, so it's it's kind of this odd role where technically they're not supposed to be helping on the field at practice. Um, whether or not they actually help on the field at practice or not is debatable. Um, but but I think you know in, in a lot of ways that that analyst role kind of serves as a as a brain trust um, for the coaching staff on either side of the ball. The reality is, as a position coach, you have so many responsibilities outside of the building, just in recruiting and all that you have to keep up with managing those relationships. And even as a coordinator, um, you're you're asked to do a lot at the college level. And so I think those analysts can kind of come in and do a lot of the back end scouting work that allows you to kind of plug and play game plans. And so is that like self scouting? Or, or yeah, other teams, so or both. Self-scouting and opponent scouting. So, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, at the high school level, like you do the best you can, but the reality is like, you're not, you're not scouting two or three games ahead of, of your schedule. Like you're kind of keeping it up week to week and maybe getting a little bit ahead for your next opponent, um, the Thursday or Friday before you play. But 
that's about as as good as you're going to do in the high, at the high school level. Um, but you have these analysts that are scouting games ahead and charting breakdowns and, and doing all these things and helping you install. And there's actually, you know, this is more recent, but there's kind of a story that came out of LSU that, you know, when they played Florida, there was, it was an analyst or kind of a consultant that had said, hey, like, you know, I think running counter would be really good for us this week. And sure enough, they ran counter like 15 times for like 15 yards of carry. And, uh, and they just, they just ran all over Florida. And so it's, it's helpful to have somebody that's a little bit detached from like the day in day out, like kind of grind of, of installing and and game planning and is able to offer you really actionable um, ideas. And so Mm -hmm. obviously the higher quality your analysts are, the better ideas you have going into the game and, um, the better those things can be executed. And, uh, you know, at certain places, I would imagine they're also working with players on the field, even if they're not supposed to. Um, and so it's it's just one of those things that it's it's a weird um, kind of, uh, it's a weird spot um, in terms of like, I don't think a lot of people understand like what, what those folks do, but um, I, I think they have a huge role to play um, because the other coaches on staff are so responsible for recruiting. Um, and that's just, it takes a ton of work to, to be able to recruit at a high level. So well, if you're a former NFL coach, wouldn't it be nice to, you're not having to deal with the running back room. You're not dealing with recruiting. You're just, you are like that brain trust talking about football. You're studying sure. and sharing information with people who, you know, are going to use it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and the, the, the cool thing is, is like, you know, one of the things that football coaches, you know, especially the, the kind of nerdy X's and O's people, I would put myself in that category. Um, Um, yeah. And so, (laughs) you know, one of the challenges of even like being a high school head coach is like, you know, 50% of what you're doing is, has nothing to do with football. It's parents. It's, it's, um, uh, making sure the field gets painted. It's, it's things like that. And so we, you know, as coaches, we all, we kind of like, uh, bemoan the fact that we're not actually doing just football stuff. And the cool thing about that analyst role, why it's, while it's not the most lucrative, um, spot, I mean, it depends kind of where you are. Um, but while it's not like, you know, you're making millions, you get to just do football all day. And I think there, that really appeals to a lot of coaches that are either getting their start or maybe that have been in the game for a while, but don't really want to be on the road recruiting high school games every every week. And so it's a pretty cool spot to be in where you you're a valued value add to the team, um, but you're, you're kind of just focusing on ball. And the, and the NFL teams, they have plenty of consultants, too, that maybe aren't in the building, but are, are giving input and, you know, jumping on a weekly phone call with a coordinator and, and offering breakdowns and advice and different things like that. It, you'd be surprised how much, especially with kind of the way the modern world is working now and, um, and access to technology and being able to watch film and send things like it's, it's so easy to have consultants all over the country that are watching film and, and offering you advice. Even at the high school level, you can, you know, send some huddle film to your, to your buddies across state lines and they can give you some really good ideas for that week. And I've certainly done it. And, um, and it's, it's just helpful to be able to have kind of a second set of, or second or third set of eyes on, on what you're trying to get done. Mm. I got one last thing I want to talk about, by the way, you, you've done amazing. I love having you on. You're fantastic. Oh, this is fun, man. This is fun. I, uh, I followed, I don't know if it's your advice or your thoughts. You talked about how it trickles up like some of the, the best minds and most creative thinkers in football are at the high school level and, and because they are free to really take risks and do whatever they want for sure yeah. and i i don't know 
that led me to an interview I did with a guy named John Eagle, who coached mm-hmm. for years and years at Camas High School in Camas, Washington. He won multiple state titles. He's like a legend of legends. And then he took the job as the quarterback coach of Portland State after like 17 years in high school. Yeah. And and not because he, he wanted a new challenge pretty clearly. And I totally. had a blast. Like I, I talked to a bunch of his players afterward. Like it was really this all-encompassing experience. And I, I'd love to get you in touch with him if you want. He's like this really Absolutely. fun no, mind. For sure. And it was cool because he was literally asking me questions because he was just curious. Like he wanted to learn about the game. And I just – so I humble. And one thing he talked about that I, that I loved because he – every time – we I played against him in high school. I watched all his teams. His quarterback was the best I've ever seen in high school. And every single one of them was this – this fact was true about him at extending plays and keeping plays alive. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen a high school so consistently have guys that could roll out or get out of the pocket and were calm, were fine, and would repeatedly – find people open downfield every time yeah totally he talked about the way he achieved that was by just giving guys freedom to make mistakes and saying like hey i'm i'm not gonna bench a guy after one mistake and i want them to feel free to make take risks and be creative with the ball and i see so many parallels between that and patrick mahomes like that's kind of he's been free to just do stuff and be creative and he's not gonna get benched if he throws an ugly interception Right. I just I don't know what the question is, but I wanted your comments <laughs> on just like just an open conversation of like your thoughts on letting players like, you know, Daniel Jones. I watch him sometimes in New York, the quarterback mm-hmm. there. And I, I feel like he's hesitant because he knows he does. He's going to get flack for making a mistake here and there. He's playing. He's not safe in an environment where he can truly just play freely. So can you talk about that building that environment for a quarterback or for any player where they feel safe to make mistakes and then also grow and and become a better player yeah no i mean that's man there there's a lot to unpack there and it's not Um, even a question i'm sorry no it's (laughs) it's good it's good it's good it's um you know there's a a book that i think pete carroll's probably famous for referencing a lot called the inner game of tennis um it's Mm. it's a great read for for anyone who uh is just involved in athletics or it's it, it extends beyond athletics even to to life and um it kind of gives some specifics on what flow state really looks like um, and how to kind of detach um, as, as an athlete, be able to detach yourself from um, that critical voice that kind of arises with each of us. Like, Oh man, like how could you, how could you do that? How could you do that? Um, you know, we all, we all kind of have to battle that self-talk, whether it's as a coach or as a player, um, but particularly as a player, because it's, you know, the bullets are, are live firing. Um, and so I think, um, that's one of the greatest challenges is when, when you have, it's, it's interesting. You have this player empowerment that's kind of happening um, and players are, are given more ownership, um, have more responsibility, have more influence. And what I've found is that with an increase in responsibility comes an increase in their own kind of self-deprecation and um, kind of uh, that, that negative self-talk. It's almost more, it's more detrimental than really anything I could offer up as a coach of, you know, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. It's like they internalize it so much, um, the athletes do. And so it's, it's, it's a real challenge to get people to kind of free themselves from their, from their own selves and kind of be in the moment and, and play um, reactively instead of playing kind of uh, in opposition to themselves. Like that's one of the things that um, he talks about in the inner game of tennis with, with the, um, is you're not just playing against your opponent, you're, you're actually playing against yourself um, mm. in, internally. 
Um, and that if you're doing that, you're, you're always going to be a step behind. And so it's interesting from the quarterback position because there's a lot of information to process. Um, and there is like, there, there should be freedom, but also within certain constraints. Um, it was interesting. We had a conversation on, on the coaches collective podcast with Mike Kafka kind of talking about like, you know, what is it, what is it like to coach Patrick Mahomes? And, you know, do you just kind of say, kind of do whatever you want? And he's like, well, no, there's still rules that Patrick's aware of and is, um, in line with, uh, but we just give him a lot of freedom kind of within the structure of our offense. Um, and you're able to like increase, you know, what your offense really is because of that skill set. Um, but it's not that he just kind of snaps the or gets the snap and does whatever he wants. Like it may look yeah. like that, but there's 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 more structure even than we realize as, as outside observers. And so I think it's it's one of those things where you, it, once you, the way I think of it at least is that it's not just telling an inexperienced player like don't think about it, be free. It's almost like how can we work with you to develop a level of mastery to where you have so much confidence in the basics that you're able to work in creativity. Um, and that's really where I will kind of stretch beyond football or, or sports in general and talk more about, um, art or, uh, music is like the people that are able to like the jazz musicians that are able to play spontaneously. It's not because they don't know how to play. It's because they're so good that they are able to create in real time. And mm -hmm. so I think that's, that's something for, for younger athletes to kind of consider is, you know, you, you almost earn the right to, to have creativity in your game. And I think there's, you know, there's a bunch of kids running around on basketball courts right now, pulling up from the logo and like th shooting it from their hip, like Steph Curry. And the reason <laughs> Steph's able to do some of those things is like, and again, like I was at Davidson and we didn't overlap, but he came back during the NBA lockout. And I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody work on his game as much mm -hmm. as Steph did. Now, this was before he was like Warriors MVP Steph. This was when he had hurt ankles. You know, he was working on his game all the time. Um, even when he came back and was taking classes during the lockout, that guy was in the gym all the time. Um, and he also show, show, showed up to class, which was interesting. Um, so I think, I think it's one of those things where, you know, yes, you do want to give kids more creativity and freedom. Um, but I think that comes from mastery. And that's one of the biggest hurdles to clear is like, I think a lot of, a lot of athletes kind of want access to that creative side of the game without spending the time to really master like certain parts of their craft. Um, and so it's, so it's, it's kind of, I don't know, I don't know if this is really an answer to what you were asking, but uh, really the thing that I try to encourage them most of all is like master some of these more basic skills. And as you grow in that confidence, like let's layer in more things like mm -hmm. let's layer in arm angles let's layer in um, different schemes that allow you to escape the pocket let's layer in some of these things where you feel like you're you're graduating to these things mm -hmm. um, it's not outside of the structure of what we do it's like oh you're really good at quick game all right now let's work on some intermediate stuff all right let's get you out of the pocket let's boot you let's you know let's do some trick plays let's you know let's layer in things now that you've mastered certain other concepts and uh, i think that's where like coaches and players kind of have are working hand in hand to try and get the most out of the team, but also get the most out of that individual skill set. Like, what do you do well? How do we accentuate that? And how do we let you like continue to ramp up the things you do well um, to where that's kind of your calling card?
Yeah. What well, What's interesting is you don't want like especially high school kids just recklessly running right. everywhere, launching right. the ball like underhand yeah. and crap. Like, but how, how do I get Daniel Jones to extend a play? Like, I, there's little things like that where Daniel Jones hasn't mastered. Like, we could argue maybe hasn't earned the right to get to that next level, but. There are times where I'm like, man, I, I feel like it's just a piece of his game missing where he's clearly a great athlete. And there's clearly times where I'm like, just extend the play, man. Like, it's like he's almost unaware of it. or it's, it's like a missing piece of his game that I think he could be capable of. And I, like, I don't want to act like we're the person to like pull it out of him. But do you have any like – because I'm not the quarterback coach in the York no, Giants. No, like, sure, sure. But, but how, how, do you, how – do you have any ideas like how you would pull that out of a guy like him who isn't quite – he hasn't mastered the NFL yet. But there's clearly an ability there that I feel like isn't being utilized. Does that make yeah, sense? No doubt. No, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I was in I was in grad school at Duke several years ago, um, and there was a walk on quarterback there named Daniel Jones, um, and he wasn't getting to play yet. I think he might have been redshirted. And I was playing pickup basketball in the gym, and I'm end up in a game, and and he's out there as well, and and like. I don't think people like I know people have kind of like jokingly talked about his speed and like miles per hour. I don't think people understand like how athletic that guy is. Like he was yeah. like dunking on the break. Like he was he was unbelievable. He was a very good high school basketball player too at Charlotte Latin. Um, he can win a race in the NFL against no, defenders. No like no doubt. I mean he's he's extremely talented physically, and I don't, I think he kind of gets undersold in that category for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, one of the challenges is of being in the NFL is there is a ton of mental responsibility on the quarterback position. Um, and again, I, I'm not in the building in New York, but I know that there have been, I think he's been through how many, how many coaches has he been through? I think I uh, definitely two, definitely Pat Schumer okay. and now Jason Garrett. Sure. He's, and, I think uh, he's on year two, year two of Jason Garrett, I believe. Sure. Sure. Um, and while there's crossover, it's, it's challenging. And, you know, if you don't have, you know, one of the best centers in the NFL, like I'm thinking, think back to like, you know, Jeff Saturday or guys like that, that really process the game. Well, and again, I don't know who's, who's at center for the giants, but you're able to put a lot of, um, responsibility on the center position in terms of protections and different things like that. And, you know, when you have a lot of consistency at some of the skill position players, there's the, I, I don't know if he's he's ever really been able to settle in. And again, I'm not a Giants fan. I don't watch every week. But, you yeah. know, just in kind of general football terms, um, you know, the more stability you have around you from a coaching perspective and then in terms of, like, um, who you're interacting with on the field, like who is taking some of the mental load off of the quarterback position and kind of handling it, um, that's going to free up a lot of that, like, athletic ability to just mm-hmm. kind of be able to play. Um, and I think um, – you know, in, in Kansas city, um, there's a whole heck of a lot of creativity and you're able to do it because of the amount of speed they have on the field. And then you also have really savvy players like Travis Kelsey and, you know, they have, I think he's a rookie, but one of the best centers I've ever seen in Creed Humphrey. Um, and it's just amazing how much of a difference, like having a really good center makes Mm -hmm. for a quarterback, um, because of the mental load they get to take off of you. Um, and so, and again, I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is not processing a ton of information mentally as well, um, but it's it's challenging. And he's had a lot of consistency with Andy Reid, and and that system has has stayed largely in place. And he's been able to grow in into it. Um, and I think some of these young quarterbacks in the NFL, like they're facing a ton of pressure. And when they don't have 
um, a lot of consistency around them, um, it can be hard to take that next step. And the difference between a good NFL quarterback and a great NFL quarterback, um, it, it is unbelievable how good you have to be to really make a difference in the game. I mean, you see mm-hmm. the Rams with Stafford, like you see the arm talent and the ability that he has, like it just, it ramps that offense up to the next level. Um, and it's just, I mean, again, you're talking about a really good football player and a great athlete in Daniel Jones, like, but the, some of the guys that are in the league with Rogers and Stafford and Dak and some of these guys, like there's just unbelievable talent in the league. And so to actually win games is really hard to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like even Coach Eagle talked about how if you see a quarterback who's playing hesitant and maybe playing the way we've seen Daniel Jones play at times, it is because they're usually thinking too much. Now that's a high school coach, sure. and then translating what he says to an NFL player—that's a, a rough comparison, but um, awesome. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I, I just want to say thank you for your time. It's been so no, much fun. for sure, man. It's it's been awesome. I enjoy enjoy getting to talk through these things and, uh, you know, appreciate your perspective and kind of what you built and how hard you work, because I know, I know you put in a ton of effort and set up a lot of phone calls and you, you do a really good job listening to what people are saying and kind of, uh, keeping the conversation moving forward. So I always, I always enjoy getting to hop on these things. And, you know, I think, I think more than anything, it's like, you know, you are a perfect example of like someone who's trying to move the conversation forward, um, across a wide range of, of topics. And, I certainly appreciate that, and I appreciate we live in a world that that you can you can kind of bust it and 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 make a name for yourself and and uh, provide some positivity for sure. I got to say, what's cool about this world is I'm in Hawaii and you're in Texas, it's crazy, and we're talking man. in real time. That's amazing, <laughs> dude. That's it's awesome. Cool. I don't That's know. Cool. I'm 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 so happy. I'm I'm good. Glad to talk to you. You're always welcome. And uh, thank you appreciate so much for your time. It, we'll do it again for sure.